Good morning. My name is Pastor Lance. I'm one of the pastors here at Newbury Church, and uh, we have come to the part of our worship service where we dive into God's Word. If you've been visiting with us or you've been attending over the past four weeks, we are in the book of Psalms. We are in the book of Psalms, and we've entitled this series, and I hope it's the right title, is A Summer of Wisdom. A Summer of Wisdom. Uh, I don't know about you, but when school is out and I have a lot of time on my hands as a young man, uh, I needed a great deal of wisdom. So there's a part of me that wishes I would have had this series as a child. Uh, Pastor Michael led us off in week one with Psalm 1, The Blessed Life. Jesse then followed up with Psalm 125, the surrounding Savior, and he brought out those mountains in Jerusalem, oh so beautiful. And then last week, Brother John walked us through grief and suffering in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? And I'm grateful that he did that because when we look at the Psalms, we see a wide range of human emotion. I think sometimes we feel like we might have to be of a certain disposition to come into the presence of God. Like, I need to get myself together. I need to, like, straighten up, stop crying. But, but I would submit to you, brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, that it is in those moments where we are dealing with the depth of our broken humanity that God says, no, invite me in because I'm superhuman. I can supersede all of those human emotions that you're feeling. In fact, I've lived them, I felt them, and I walked through them perfectly through the personal work of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you got like a wide range of human emotion, jump in the Psalms because you see David, you see Moses, you see Solomon, you see Asaph, you see choirs just pouring it on, right? And so don't, don't hide from those emotions, but, but come before the throne, come before the Lord Jesus himself with all of those emotions. And I'm grateful that John dealt with grief because I think it is in grief and pain that we get to walk with Jesus in ways that only grief and pain can help us look more like Jesus. What a beautiful thing to lament in between pain and promise. Psalms in the form of poetry have a way of reminding us that our emotions, our feelings can all be submitted to the glory of God. And furthermore, our feelings and emotions are a place where God wants to meet us and to show us that he is good, that he is sovereign, and that he is true. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, as we look at Psalm 104, and I picked this psalm out because it deals with creation. And I think creation is one of the most underrated theologies in all of our um, theological um, expose or whatever. But I think creation is a place where we can stop, we can dwell, we can behold and see the beauties of God. I think that as we look at creation, as I get into this psalm, as we look at Genesis, right? It's not just the introduction to the Bible. It's not just an explanation of, a, of empirical beauty, but at the very heart of creation, theology is an understanding the character, the nature, and the heart of God towards all that his breath 
has spoken into existence. So I chose this psalm that sings to the glory of God in creation. Creation begins with the holy breath of God speaking life into existence, speaking beauty into existence. The scriptures come to a close in the book of Revelation with the same holy and perfect God bringing that world, this world, to an appropriate end and beginning a new creation where his glory never fades and his creation never again has to deal with falter. Amen. Creation should get us excited as it is ushered in humanity and all created beings into a relationship with God. And the new heavens and a new earth will usher in an eternal relationship with God. Our text this morning comes from Psalm 104. Psalm 104. If you would stand, if you're able. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, a slight deviation from what I normally read, but I guess you'll forgive me. I'm going to read all 35 verses today. I'm going to read all 35 verses in Psalm 104. And it'll sound familiar, and I'll get to that in a minute, but it'll sound very familiar. Even if you haven't read Psalm 104, you'll be like, oh, I've heard this story before. Psalm 104, I'm reading from the ESV. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose, the valley sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they may not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth into the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen his heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them, the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and his labor until evening. 
O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a wonderful creator. We thank you that you create what is good. Genesis 1 tells us that you looked at all that you made and you said it was good. May we start there, that what you create has dignity, worth, beauty, value, and a holy touch of beauty. Father, as we look into your word this morning, as we look at creation, as we look at this world that you have given us, may we just not see it and say, oh, how nice, but we think of a wonderful, good, true Lord God who wants to be in relationship with us, who created us in beauty, human beings made in the image of God, and you said it was good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm from Chicago. It's the Midwest. And we have Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan is one of the largest lakes in all of the United States of America. And as I was visiting family last week, I was able to take my wife and three children to Lake Michigan. My wife says that Lake Michigan is not the real beach. Somebody back me up. It is the real beach. Okay, yeah, Aaliyah from Minnesota. So Lake Michigan is a body of water in Chicago and other cities, and we have very cold, fresh water. So it could be like 60 degrees in the water, but really it's like 85 outside, so it's kind of cold. And my whole life, that's where I've gone with my family, to Lake Michigan. And when I went to Florida for the first time with my wife, as a grown man, I was blown away. I'd never been to Florida. I believe we went uh, a couple years into marriage to the beach, because we did go to Orlando on honeymoon, but there's no beach in Orlando. And I went to Florida, and I was like, wow, there's a shoreline that goes for eternity. There are these condominiums behind me. There's this great gulf or ocean in front of me. Um, I didn't know that you could get bit by crabs and creatures, so that kind of threw me off. 
And then I hopped in the water, and it was salty, and I wasn't ready for salt water because I've only known fresh water. But then, like, my feet, my athlete's foot was feeling better because I was in the sand, so <laughs> I got to admit that. But I took it all in. Like, the, the sky was big. The sun was bright. I could hardly look up. Like, it was just, like, weird. It was overwhelming is what I'm trying to say in a good way. Like, the sky was so big, the water was so salty and big, and I'm pretty sure I was thinking about a shark half the time I was out there, and I got bit, but it was still beautiful, right? So it was this moment of, I see all the beauty, but I see, like, what could go wrong, and when you think of creation, maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you've been taken aback by the beauty and the grandeur of creation. I chose this psalm. Because I believe that creation lets us see aspects of God's attributes, character, and providence, as well as God's sovereignty. I mentioned that earlier, but I think creation is one of the, the underspoken about aspects of our theology, right? Psalm 104, I believe, and many scholars believe, um, is a mirroring of Genesis 1. And you'll see this. Psalm 104 mirrors Genesis 1. 104 verse 2 talks about light. 104 2b through 4 explains the expanse that divides the water. Psalm 104 5 through 13 talks about the land and the water distinction. Psalm 104 14 to 18 talks about the vegetation and the trees. Psalm 104 19 to 23 talks about the sun and the moon. Verses 25 through 26 talks about the sea creatures. And yes, that Leviathan, um, I looked it up in some commentaries, and I guess it's a water dinosaur. So, um, Barger children, there you go. You have your water dinosaur. And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to just tell you, um, I didn't really know where I landed on dinosaurs for the first 30 years of my life. But if that's a water dinosaur, then praise be to God, it don't affect my God. Um, Jesus still died on the cross even for that water dinosaur. I get it. So we ain't got to be shook, y'all. We ain't got to be shook about dinosaurs. Maybe that's new to me, but all right. Somebody thinks that's funny. Psalm 104, 21 through 24 talks about the land animals and man. Psalm 104, 27 through 30 talks about food for all creation. And let me say it this way. Everybody loves a good origin story. Marvel movies, they thrive on this. It's three movies for every superhero because we want to know not only like the fact that we know you're great, but how did you get great? Tony Stark is rich. Uh, Spider-Man got bit. Black Panther ate a plant. Like we know these things and they intrigue us. And I'm saying for the believer, if you don't have a place to call home, if you don't have a family of origin where they tell you you're 23 and me, if you don't have a place where you feel like, where is my heritage? Where is my legacy? I would say start with creation because in the family of God, you were created being by holy and perfect almighty God. And that is where you get your identity and all that you see that is beautiful in the world. This can be your origins. This, no, this is your origin story, right? But my purpose in this sermon is not to compare and contrast Psalms and Genesis, but to submit to you today that Psalms calls us to more than just the memorization of biblical facts about the order of origins of the world, more than just the daydream of creation, 
But I submit to you that Psalm 104 speaks to us to recognize this. The splendor of creation calls for deep praise. The splendor of creation calls for deep praise. And I'm very comfortable coming away with this big idea is because in Psalm 104, it opens and closes the very same way with the author praising God. And by the way, I think it's Moses. It doesn't say it's Moses, but I think Moses would have had an account of creation. Maybe David did, but I think it's Moses, but that's for me. But it opens and closes the same way with praising God. Psalm 104.1, bless the Lord, O my soul, Lord, my God, you are very great. Psalm 104.35b, bless the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. That's the beginning of the psalm, and that's the end of the psalm. And everything in between tells you why the psalmist is doing that. In light of this book in praise in the text, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at and unpacking how the text calls us to praise God in light of creation and what the reasons the text gives us to praise God with everything in between the first verse and the last verse. So my first observation this morning, I got four observations this morning. The first observation this morning is this. We have a covenant creator. We have a covenant creator. Verses one and two. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. The psalmist expressed a praise that goes beyond giving a simple thanks, like, thank you. That was kind of you to give me a glass of water, Jesse. This is it. Yeah, it's bigger than that. But as the psalm opens, a deep praise that resonates with the eternal aspect of the psalmist is woken to praise. The psalmist tells God how great he is. Something to take note of here. In that, this time during Israel's history, we, I, I would say if this is Moses or even just Israel, right? They would have been around other cultures to some degree that would have had a God for different things, especially the Egyptians. They had a God for like stones and hieroglyphics and all of that stuff. And maybe I'm butchering that. But they had different gods. But something to take note of here is that the surrounding nations would have had multiple gods. It would have been a commonplace in other cultures where there would have been a different God for different aspects of creation, right? Polytheism. The psalmist is convinced that the Lord here is translated Yahweh, the personal name of God, the covenant name of God. That'd be but one God. Exodus 23 through 5. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that isn't in the water or that is in the water or under the earth. You shall bow down. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. That's the God that's introducing creation to this psalmist. Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by the unrighteousness suppress the truth. But what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. He said, no, I did that. You don't need a pantheon of gods. 
You don't need a God for each day of the week. You don't need a God for every aspect of the park you're going to go to. You just need me. And I'm in covenant with you because I'm giving you my personal name. That means I want you to know me. So when you look at all of this splendor and beauty and creation, it points back to me, God. The psalmist opens up not simply with an acknowledgement of God's presence in creation, but the intense and intentional praise that is due his God. It was not enough for the psalmist to simply acknowledge the work that was done, the beauty that he's seeing, and the majestic aspects of the world around him. But the psalmist understands that with all this great beauty in front of him, there must be a deep conviction to praise the one who created all that he sees. To miss the beginning of the psalm and the end of the psalm is to mishandle the subject of creation altogether, I think. To miss the beginning praise and the end praise of the God that the psalmist is speaking to, is having a conversation with, is to miss the point of creation. There are plenty of individuals in our world who acknowledge that creation is beautiful. There are plenty of people in the world who acknowledge that uh, there's a greater beauty that cannot be explained. There are plenty of people in the world who say we should steward better our world because it's getting too hot. And I'm, I guess I'm one of them. I don't know. I think we could do a better job of picking up trash and, and just stewardship of the land, right? Not for trying to preserve the earth purposes, but because God gave us this beautiful world. There are plenty of people who say we should steward this world through human action and responsibility, echoing God's call to Adam and Eve to take care of what God has given them. Right. So I'm saying that even people who don't believe in the authority of Scripture would say, hey, we should take care of the stuff we got. Right. The polar bears need ice caps. The fish need water. Stop throwing your six pack of seven up in the ocean because fish get stuck. Like there's a reality in which common grace says even they know there's some reverence and respect to what God has done. How much more should we respect that? Right. So people know. But friends, you and I both know that to admire the created and place the creator into obscurity is missing the whole point. So let us not miss the Lord in this passage. Let us not miss that the name of the author uses in verse one is the personal name of God, Yahweh. I don't know about you, but when I hear Yahweh, I think of a relationship. I think of the God who wanted to make himself known through Moses and the Israelites. What a beautiful thing that he's saying No, all of this beauty that you see, I want to be known. You ever been over like somebody who's like really affluent in their house or like on a trip or tour or whatever? And you're like, man, this is a lot of neat stuff. And then the person, you might meet the person on a tour or you might meet your friend's father or somebody and you sit down with them and they're like, yeah, man, uh, you can come over anytime you want. Um, If you want to play on the goal, if you want to, you know, hang out whatever, that's cool. And you're like, oh man, this person is really relatable. And like, I feel comfortable. Like how much more does the God of creation want to invite you into a relationship with him with all of his stuff on full display? Like that, that's, that's, that's good. That's encouraging. So when your friend at work marvels over the Grand Canyon, when a family member tells you about the ocean deep and wide, when your children look at an animal and are like super impressed, 
Tell them the same God who made the creature and creation, to your amazement, wants to know you through his handiwork, Psalm 19. But he wants to invite you to take him by the hand and say, well, actually, let me rephrase that. He wants, he wants to take you by the hand and say, look how beautiful this is. And I made you just as beautiful. Right? How much more has he crafted and wants to care for you than all of that splendor in creation? Right? Friends, I believe that when we look at creation, it's not simply made to evoke a warm, fuzzy inside or just simply to make us wide-eyed. But what if observing all that the Lord has made, we deeply reflect on the goodness of God, the character of God, the wisdom of God. To that end, we worship deeply the one true and living God. The psalmist described the heavens as stretching out over the earth like a tent. In other words, a tent is where people would have dwelled. God is saying, I made this so you can stay here. I got this. I'm holding this thing together. Look at it in amazement, but also think of me. It's meant where we're, it's, it's supposed to be the place where we dwell. And guess what? Job knew that. Job 9.8, when he's speaking of God, he says, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Isaiah 40.22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. God is saying, hey, you can stay a while. In fact, you're going to be here a while and I made it nice for you. I just want you to praise me in return. We don't need multiple gods to call on, not for water, not for nature, not for vegetation and so forth. But what if, we, what if when we marveled at creation, we were filled with a deep, abounding sense of worship to the true and living God? So when you talk to your people, tell them that God wants to be in relationship with them deeply and richly. And in return, he asks that you redirect all of that awe and wonder and amazement, not to an inanimate object, but to a living God. Right? The triune God of the universe, the Lord God. Let us not see the greatness of creation and miss the greatness of God. But rather, let us see the great work of creation and ascribe deep glory and deep praise to the covenant creator. So when we behold the beauty of creation, we can know that a covenant creator set the stage for a world that worships deeply himself. So we see a covenant creator. But we also see in the text the reliability of creation. The reliability of creation. As I mentioned before, this psalm echoes the first six days of creation. It's not exactly in order the same way that Moses wrote it down in Genesis 1 and 2, but it's almost all of the same features and parts of creation. Isn't it fascinating that the level of detail the Lord uses in creation gives us a picture of when the Lord created the world, but when he creates it, like he sets it up where it can sustain itself, right? Let's start with verse five. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. So God is holding this whole thing together. Let's just start there. So if we're wondering like, man, um, 
How, how secure is this world? Well, it's secure to the degree that we know that God is holding it together. And when he says it's time to do something different, that's when something different is going to be done. God is in control of the earth in a way that he has first say and final say and all the say in between both the earth's faculties and functions. He's just holding this thing together and we can trust that. The Lord is in charge of what's here and how it works while all at the same time keeping it all together. It's like a a mom with three kids, I guess. Colossians 1, 16 through 18 reminds us of this. We read it before. We read it earlier this morning. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We can trust that when the Lord makes it, it's not like an American um, sedan that it might break. it ain't going to break down like he's holding this thing together. We can trust that he's going to sustain it. Psalm 104 reminds us that it is not only for our good, but there's a reality in which we can trust God's work will hold up until God says otherwise. Verses 19 to 23. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know it's time for setting. You make the darkness and it's night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to work and to his labor until evening. So it's giving you like a day in the life of creation, right? We may question if the weather report is accurate if you look at the weather, right? It says one thing and it might do something different. But in that, we expect that the sun will still rise somewhere. We don't know if the sun's going to come up then or now, or it's going to rain a little bit or a lot. But we know and we anticipate the day being the day. We plan fireworks for 9 o'clock in July because history tells us that around 9 o'clock, really like 10, I guess, I looked last night, that the sun is going to go down, right? We anticipate the sun's arrival to awaken a new day so we can go to work and do it five or six days a week. We make plans based on work days and tell our kids in two or three sleeps, we'll go here. I wish my kids understood this term because they just wake up really early. <laughs> they say, the sun was up when I got up, so I got up. So that's what my kids tell me. But essentially, my kids even know that it's a new day when the sun, sun gets up, and they anticipate that. They anticipate a sense of here's another day. How beautiful it is that we not only have days and night to rest and to function, but to commemorate all that the Lord has done. The psalmist points out that the people of God use the sun and the moon to mark the seasons. We use seasons of life to celebrate various things in our lives. It's how we measure time. We rely on the sun and the moon to interchange places in the sky so we can plan days and times and events on our schedule and calendar. In fact, some of your, most of our testimonies had a beginning. We knew where we were. We might know what season it was. I know I got saved in June of 2024. It was around vacation Bible school. The Lord's kind enough to remind me that it was warm outside. It was summer. We rely on time to measure growth and maturity. We rely on time for endless amounts of events in our lives, working, sleeping, eating, playing, celebrating, scheduling, 
Almost as if time and seasons help us to live on purpose and with intentionality, just like the way the world was created with purpose and intentionality, just like God intended. We know that creation is reliable, not because we think it's just reliable, but because God tells us that he's the one holding it together, that he spoke it into existence. So so Psalm 104 tells us we have a covenant creator. It tells about the reliability of creation. But Psalm 104 also tells us about the wisdom of creation. The wisdom of creation. Let's look at, I'm sorry, the wisdom and provision of creation. The wisdom and provision of creation. Verses 24 through 30. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships in Leviathan. There's that water dinosaur, which you formed to play in it. So one commentator said this, As it relates to that word, like, manifold, because I was like, what does manifold mean? How numerous, how various, of how many kinds of, and how many of every kind, thus transported with the survey of the wonders which present themselves in heaven above and on earth below. The psalmist breaks forth into an exclamation on the variety and magnificence, the harmony and proportion of the works of God in this outward and visible and perishable world. What then are the miracles of grace and glory? What are those invisible and eternal things which God hath for them and loved them in another and a better world of which the things visible and temporary are no more than shadows? And so he's saying like all of this beauty points to a greater beauty. God is wise in that. The wisdom of God is a part of the nature of God. Romans eleven thirty three, oh Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. The wisdom of creation may look like this. God knows what his creation needs, how much his creation needs, when his creation needs it, and the means in which his creation will best receive all that he provides. Psalm 104 gives testimony to the wisdom of God in numerous places throughout creation, creatures in various places, both the living and the non-living aspects of the Bible, of, of creation. This is neat because even if you look at this passage, it talks about how uh, I, I just call it mountain lions, but like everything from like the lowest of the low, how God keeps water like from flooding us, but yet he also gives a place for like the mountain lions to roar. And he says, when we go to sleep, the lions come out, so we ain't got to get eaten. But the lions come out and they do their hunting and then the sun rises and then we do it all over again. Like there's wisdom in that, like the Lord has set this world in play so that everybody has what they need when they need it, right? That's a beautiful reality. And there's a deeper spiritual reality in that. If God is doing that for creation, 
Like, how much is he going to do that for you? And Jesus says that a little bit later. Here in a second, I'm going to get to it, actually. But think about that. Like, if there's that much level of, of detail and provision and wisdom, and God is really smart about what he does. Smart don't even cover it. Wisdom, right? Glory. Like, how much more, like, can we celebrate how he made us, right? The provision of God through creation is a theme we can see all throughout the Bible. And I'm going to just take this moment here, pastoral privilege, but, and I didn't even write this down, Michael, I know you told me not to do that. But think about it this way, like think about creation and its continual provision in the human salvation experience, right? So God uses water to save Egypt. I mean, to save the Israelites out of Egypt. He uses clouds and fire to give them provision to walk through uh, the desert, right? God uses a boat made of wood, the ark, to save Noah and his family, right? God shows up with fish and loaves and figs and bread and animals and the sheep is the ultimate animal in the Old Testament that God uses to uh, atone for sin for the people, right? And then we get the Lamb of God, Jesus, who's comparing, who's given the illustration of he's the living water. He's our bread, our daily bread, our, our living bread, right? And then we get to Revelation and you got all these animals with fire and clouds and sheep and winged creatures with many eyes, right? Like, how beautiful is that God uses creation to his glory and for our good that we are saved through it by his wisdom, right? Like, that's a beautiful thing. In the beginning, the Lord provided Adam and Eve he, with food. And here is the beauty of that. Different parts of creation rely on different parts of creation as well. And they can be sustained by it, right? Jesus tells us, in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 24, not to worry about our needs as he's talking uh, to the people given the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, he likens us, he likens his provision for us in ways that, that we can't even meet our own needs, but yet he's meeting those needs for us. He says in Matthew 6, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. There's that wisdom again, and that provision. Are you not of more value than they? And which you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan. You can't. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, which is today alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need, knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today, for the day is its own trouble. And so even in Jesus' kingdom speech, he's saying that his provision to us is more than, like, we, with the reliability of, like, a lily in a field or a bird. Like, they, they weren't given the same mandate as Adam to work the ground and for Eve to, to have children. But that provision is just as good as, as there. How beautiful is that? Oh, let us rejoice when we serve a God who not only creates with wisdom and providential care, but sustains with wisdom and providential care. This sustaining is not the bare minimum either. He didn't just give us the bare minimum. He didn't just get right above the line so we would have just enough. God sustains with reliable and sustainable good things. And on top of all of that, he sustains this world in a, in a way where it maintains its beauty. Bringing this back to Psalm 104, there are numerous examples in this psalm, as we both read, throughout the entire passage that highlight the Lord's infinite and intimate provision for his creation. As high as the, as the sky to the mountains that are smoking down to the valleys. Everybody's covered. He's got it all held together. Verses 1 through 13 talks about the provision of the Lord to keep the water in place where it should be and not flooding the earth or simply hovering above the earth, giving the animals of the land a drinking source. Verses 14 to 15 speak of the grass that grows to feed the livestock and the plants so we could then go out there and cultivate it for the food that we need, right? How beautiful is that? And then we get bread and then we get Vaseline for dry skin. That's how I interpret that, that oil on the face. That's me in the wintertime in Chicago as a kid. <laughs> Don't feel no wind, Crystal. The birds have a place to dwell and shelter and cover for provision of the trees. The trees and the trees provide places for wild goats where they can linger in the mountains. I'm sorry. The badgers and the wild goats can linger in the mountains. Mountains aren't just majestic, but they're somebody's home, right? I put crib, but I didn't want to say crib. So we just, we just talked about uh, verses 19 to 26 with the days of creation. But don't forget verses 25 and 26, where the boats have a place in the sea to travel for commerce, not to mention the Leviathan. There's that water dinosaur. In many commentaries, um, you know, they talk about this water dinosaur. But yet, even with the big old water dinosaur, the Lord keeps the people safe in the water, right? How beautiful is that? Verses 27 to 30 talk about the provision of food to the animals in due season. Science and academics would tell us that this is the food chain. Y'all remember that? The food chain? Yeah, I don't know. That was my food chain. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mufasa would call it the circle of life. But God, through creation, is displaying the wisdom and the provision of all creation depends on the provision of God. The good news is that the Lord's provision is full of his wisdom. So it's just what we need, when we need it, how we need it, by the means in which we need it, and the amount we need it. Each creature is supplied with its needs according to what God has already created. But don't miss the dismount in Psalm 104 here. It's for the glory of God. We can praise God continually. We can praise God. God in that moment. 
So it's not just, oh, thank you, Lord, for this moment, but we can continually praise. We can eternally praise God for his wisdom and provision. So we've talked about a covenant creator. We've talked about the reliability of creation. We've talked about the wisdom and provision of creation. And my last observation is this. The future and reconciling of creation. The future and reconciling of creation. And I just put in my notes, a new heaven and a new earth. And you're like, well, Lance, how do you get that out of all this? And I'm going to show you right now, I guess. So aside from the first two verses, the next several verses speak exclusively. So the first two verses tell us how great God is. Praise God. He is great, right? The covenant God. And then the rest of the verses, before the last two verses, talk about what he did. But in verse 31, as this psalm comes to a close, he stops talking about the provision in creation, but he's going back to recognizing, in light of all that was spoken, recognizing the glory of God. Verses 31 through 35. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. So here we are at the dismount, at the close of the psalm. We talked about the bookends of praise. So here we are at the second bookend of praise. As a result of the Lord's beauty, majesty, and brilliance in creation. But the end of the psalm doesn't just remind us to praise God for creation, but points to a reality in which there will be eternal praise with our eternal God. Verse 31, the psalm talks about how the glory of the Lord will last forever. There is a deep, soulful, forever type praise that the beauty of creation should evoke in us. That when we see that the trees are blowing just right and that the water sounds beautiful, maybe not in Ohio River, but maybe on a different coast, it should call a, cause us to praise God. The appropriate response is worship. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. And as we think about the world in which there will be no more sinners, which is kind of random in this, right? Like we thought we go from creation to no more sinners, but it's not random. Because for eternity, we know that eternity will be spent in the presence of God when he brings this world to an appropriate end. And when he does that, sin will be no more. We have to think about Jesus and the work on the cross that brings us into the presence of God. If you're here today and you love nature and you love creation and you love being outdoors and you look up and sometimes you say, and you ask yourself, what does all this mean that we get carbon dioxide from the trees and we give them oxygen? Did I get that right? No, we give them CO2 and they give us oxygen, right? What does all that mean? So let's talk about the one who made all this stuff, right? The firstborn of all creation. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute, shall we? Colossians 1, 15 through 20. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. I read this before, but I'm going to read it again. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, that be Jesus. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That just means that Jesus was God. And that when he walked, when he lived, when he slept, he was God the whole time while he was doing it. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the supreme ruler over all creation. He made all things. Sin came into the world when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God and take fruit that God said, you don't need to be eaten right now. So there's a sense in which we as people can take God's creation out of the context in which God initially designed it, right? And that causes problems for us. When Adam and Eve did it, it brought sin into the world. And their disobedience separated them from God. They were kicked out of the garden, and God had to make a sacrifice through that animal to cover them because they were naked and ashamed. But God said, you know what? I'm still going to make provision. I'm still going to be thoughtful and wise because I'm not only going to give them an animal covering for that moment of their disobedience, I'm going to give them the true Lamb of God. And his sacrifice will be once and for all. That if you believe in him, Romans 6.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So we deserve death when we sin against God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're here and you're like, I'm a created being. And I know that God made me. And I know that it's, I'm supposed to reflect God's glory. But you know what? My body doesn't function right. My heart doesn't function right. My relationships don't function right. I don't function right. My mind don't function right. My family don't function right. That's understandable because we're still in this world where sin still has a presence. But oh, there's hope. Oh, there's hope. Oh, there's hope. Friends, when you leave this place sometime this week or sometime in the near future, I suggest that you find your favorite place out in creation. You can go east, west, north, south, and just sit for a while. Just sit down and read scripture about creation. Play some worship music. Get lost in a reflection or a devotion about your covenant God who loves you and made you on purpose, not just to look as good as you do, but to worship him. And when you get tired of just sitting and thinking and gazing about the beauty of the creation, stop and take it to the next level. Think about a world in which all the warm and fuzzies don't go away. Now think of your favorite foods. They don't go bitter or sour. Think about your favorite places to visit. You can have a dwelling place for all of eternity. Think about your favorite smells, your favorite trees, your favorite vacation spots, your favorite beaches. 
Now think about all that stuff in the presence of God. Remember, he's a personal God. He's a covenant God. So all of this stuff, yeah, while it's his handiwork, he's like, no, I want to show you how intentional I want to be with you. Think about a world that's unaffected by grief, unaffected by pain, unaffected by natural disaster, unaffected by mass shootings, unaffected by your kids acting out, unaffected by sickness and disease, unaffected by you having to return to work on Monday, unaffected by doubt, by fear, by shame, unaffected by longing to be with loved ones, unaffected by losing loved ones, unaffected by broken promises and blown dreams. In this place, all effects of sin are null and void. All you hear is holy, holy, holy. All you see is beauty. And all you long for is him. Because at this point, in the presence of God, the splendor of creation will grip you eternally with deep praise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us such beauty to look at as we gaze to the highest mountain, to the lowest valley. Father, there are parts of this world that we haven't even fully explored. There are parts of the ocean that are still unknown, that are still not explored by man. But Father, we know that all of this beautiful and glorious and provisional and wise creation that you've made, it all points back to you. So if we leave this place, let us think about the splendor and the majesty and the glory due to you because of your beautiful creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.